Kind of interesting because Matt and I were talking about the holiday season. You know, it's, it started. Did any of you go out and, and celebrate Black Friday? Anyone do that? No, unless some head nods. Some of you did that, I know, because I've heard that they had a really good turnout. Retailers are pretty excited in our economy that those people showed up with money in their hands. Um, but, but there's something about this, this weekend that, that uh, kicks off the season. Now, I can tell you, I can confess. Oh, look, my graphic's up. That's good. <laughs> I can confess that, uh, that there's something about the season that gets pushed forward and forward and forward, right? And so, man, I was struggling. What does this mean? Do we have to speak to this or... or you all know Christmas is coming, right? Yes. And, and we all know that. And yet, uh, somehow, we remember that in our worship. But it's going to be a little weird. I'm just going to give you a heads up because we're going to roll right in here to uh, right through the book of Acts uh, up to Christmas time. And so, this time of waiting, this time of longing, uh, we will feel seasonally. But I just wanted to give you a heads up about that. We've been talking about Acts, and I want to do a review because we're about three weeks to the finish of the series. Okay, and so I want to do a little review because I feel like we've been on it for a while. This is always the time of the journey where I wear out. Do you feel that way? You get like three-fourths of the way to wherever you're going, and you're just like, is this road ever going to end? You know, and I'm not complaining about the Word of God. I'm just saying you start to feel that way. Like, seriously, I need to turn off on a side road, drive the frontage road for a while, something, right, the highway. And, um, but I want to remember where we've been because it's easy to forget, and that's one of the, the, the core values that we inherit from our Jewish brothers and sisters is to shema, to remember. It says, uh, we, we started out talking about being called to action, that Jesus commissioned the disciples, right, to, to uh, be the church. We talked about that this morning. Be the church. Be the church. This is not the church. You are the church. And there's something that we need to remember about that. And the disciples, the very first, the apostles, those who were sent, those who were called, knew that fact, that they were the church. And so Jesus had commissioned the disciples to do his work, and he was serious because he left. And then there was this week we talked about the power from above. Do you remember that? And it's this time the Holy Spirit descended upon ordinary, mortal human beings like you and I. Now, we had seen this before with prophets, and we had seen this before with Jesus at his baptism. We knew he was anointed, right? That's why we call him Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, right? But for normal human beings to be in a room and have the Holy Spirit descend on them was a new concept. That the, the, the gift of the Spirit was available to everyone, right? And, and, and so that's what we talked about, was how the Spirit was poured out in this kind of uncontrolled manner, this, this not uncontrolled by God, but uncontrolled by humans. We no longer control God, you see, in the book of Acts. And then we talked about when conflict has the church, and I want to remember that it was this idea that when there was a disturbance within the body, they took this methodology of assessing the problem, delegating responsibility, empowering them, and then moving on. And I don't think we do a good job of that. We, we kind of get hung up there on the delegating and empowering part, and we never move on. We forget our call to be church. Don't forget your call. Don't get distracted from the work at hand. We, we experienced the dramatic conversion with Saul and Ananias. Let us not forget Ananias, how he so graciously laid hands on Saul, a man who he thought could have killed him, and uh, did the work of God in, 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 uh, in spite of his own, maybe, uh, threats to his life. The community expands, and this is where, and then we're going to talk about this again today. This is such a pivotal moment in the text where Cornelius and Peter and Peter's sheet, remember? The sheet comes down, and Peter sees something in it and doesn't understand and says, oh, I'm pure, I'm not going to do that. And then three times, and then Cornelius knocks on the door because God's preparing him for work. And this is going to become, again, in the text today, we're going to hear this again, 15, or five chapters later, the same story retold. So it's important to know that story, that somehow God began to move in the lives of others before any one of the apostles showed up. 
I was talking to someone this week, talking about when we, when we approach others um, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, not to say we have it, not to say we are the only ones to understand it, but to say that we have an obligation to carry it into the world, right? That, that if, if people want to know why do you have a good attitude, why do you have joy in suffering, why do you have hope whenever the whole world's coming apart, you have to have an answer, and our answer is Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, right? But in this moment, in this time, um, uh, we always act like we're the first ones bringing it. We act as if God has not been there working already. And what Peter realized in Cornelius is that when he showed up, God was already working in Cornelius' life. So much so that when Peter showed up, Cornelius had filled the house. He was expectant that God was sending a message through Peter. Probably more than Peter was. <laughs> Peter, you gotta love Peter. And so these, they were waiting, Cornelius is waiting, and Peter shows up and says, oh my goodness, oh my God. You're no respecter of man. You go before us. You don't wait for us. You prepare a way for us, and we just live into it. It's a beautiful message. And then we remember the, the praying church here. Peter's in prison. And remember that? And the church prayed so hard that Peter was released from prison, and he didn't believe it himself. He thought it was a vision, a dream. He couldn't imagine it was really happening until he realized that he was really out of prison. He had really been released. And our obligation to be praying for those who are in bondage. Let us not forget, brothers and sisters, the bondage that we were released from. And let us never presume to, to think that we did anything to deserve our release. Right? We were prisoners without hope. Do you remember? Do you remember a time in your life before Jesus Christ? It's so easy to get kind of, again, shema, just to get passive about it. Ah, I wasn't that bad of a guy. I was pretty good. I probably figured this stuff out. I would have figured it out eventually if that person hadn't come and shared it with me. Uh, they don't need to pray for me. Uh, by the way, one of my favorite things is people who tell you not to pray for them. <laughs> it's kind of a funny request, right? Don't pray for me. <laughs> Sorry. You're at the top of the list. I was talking to somebody this week about that, you know. Uh, and I'm not trying to be a jerk, but how do you not? I mean, my goodness, it's like God saying, dare you, <laughs> you know. Uh, okay, okay, God, I'm, I'm listening. And so there's this idea that when you're praying for others, you're releasing them. You can be releasing them from bondage. Literally, somehow, that we're involved in this active work of God. God was releasing Peter and he's releasing others right now, church. He's releasing others in your life from bondage, from sin, from hopelessness. Paul and Barnabas last week come in preaching this gospel and then they're treated as gods and they, they tear off their clothes, which is a beautiful image, right? Because they're so, they're, they're like, no way. They're not afraid of death, they're not afraid of stoning, they're not afraid of anything else except, except putting themselves before God. And we, do, we try here, probably don't do a good enough job of saying, it's not us. If you are engaging in your connection card, if you're hearing a word from the Lord, if you're sitting here this morning and you go, man, this is the most boring sermon I've ever heard. I'm going to open my Bible up and read something random and God speaks to you through that. Do not be deceived. That is God. You see, it's not us. We are following God. But that's God speaking to you. Too many times we give humans credit for what God is doing. Too many times as humans we take credit for what God is doing. It's God's work with God's people. And so Paul and Barnabas said, turn from worthless things to the living God. I love it. The living God, just like the psalm said today. And now today it brings us up to where we are, which is dealing with these old laws. You would think by now the church would have figured this stuff out. You would think by now that there would be no, no reason to go back to Egypt, right? Do you remember the story of Exodus? And those who are in the desert have been released from slavery, and they just long to go back. You've led us here to die. And they say, and they go, oh, at least there we were fed. At least there, there was a plan. 
It was a plan for destruction, but it was a plan, right? Let us not be like that. And, and, and we hear today in the text how easy it is, how easy it is to return to a broken religion, to return to hope in things that are not the living God. So our desire, desire of our hearts today is that you would maybe hear again, God is speaking. That you wouldn't run back to some safety net, run back to something that you think because God moved there once, God moves there again. But be expectant because God is before us. Let's pray this morning as we open the word. Lord, we come today, uh, wherever, from many places in life, from many circumstances, from many opportunities, from many environments, uh, yet we know that you know it. We know that you are a knower of hearts. We know that you know exactly where we came from, exactly where we are, and exactly where you're trying to lead us. And today, Lord, we pray that our hardened hearts might be soft, that our, our uh, self-righteous minds would, would submit to you, would be open to your word. And today, Lord, we trust in the power of the Spirit given to ordinary folks that, that makes an extraordinary life. And we, we pray today, Lord, if it's the only hour of the week, we would be listening. But we'd pray not just that, but that we'd be listening all the time for the whispers, for the encouragement, for the hope that we find in you. And today, Lord, have your way with us. We know that we sin. We know that there are big, ugly parts of our life that just offend you and that we can't solve without you. And we pray today, Lord, that you would do your work in those areas, that you would cut away those sinful parts, that you would grow out the new, the new growth that needs to happen, that we become who you created us to be, the image of the one that we saw. And uh, we pray today, Lord, that we would be his disciples learning after him. Be merciful to us today. Continue to shower us with grace as you transform us. And we trust you for this. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to go right now to the book of Acts. If you brought a Bible with you, it's on uh, chapter 15. If you did not, there are some Bibles on the chairs. And that should be page 768. 768 in the book of Acts. So um, we're just going to read this together and we're going to talk through it a little bit. And uh, we'll see where we go. This is kind of an open-ended journey this morning. So we're going to see where we end up here. So uh, this is what it says. Acts chapter 15 says this. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia, Phoenicia, I, I, I pronounce these and I can't get them, and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, to whom they reported everything and, that had been done through them, that God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. 
He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers before were able to bear? No. We believe it was through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they had finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it. That the remnant of men may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. It is my judgment, therefore, that, they should not, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles returning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So this is the report we get from Acts today. And it's kind of one of those things, if you look, if you have those headers, I've always said I'm not a big fan of the headers, but it says council at Jerusalem. This is kind of the first, like, business meeting we're trying to figure out what this really means. There's some, there's some uh, you know, well-reasoned concerns, challenges about what they're preaching, what they're teaching. And they send back their, the, uh, some of the um, disciples and apostles, which, which Paul would claim to be, uh, to, to kind of work out this issue for the church. And so we, we, we hear, hear something, though, that comes up, and I want you to just hear it in verse 1. Because if you can't imagine by now, if you've been journeying with us up to now, you understand how profound God has been moving amongst his people, right? There's something that's over, it's an overwhelming witness. It's an overwhelming revelation. And yet somehow, in the middle of this, and I'm saying this this morning, church, because we're so good at it, in the middle of God's success, in the middle of God's paving the way, in the middle of God's work, some men came down from Judea, to Antioch, right? They came out in from the outside and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved, right? And I want you to hear what they were really saying, the profoundity. He wasn't just saying that you can't be saved or there's, it's more difficult to be saved. They, the, the words there actually mean that it is not even possible, that there is no chance that you can be saved without circumcision. This is what they're teaching. They came down and said, this is great, Oh, I'm so glad to know. I'm so glad to know that you're following the living God. I'm so glad to know that you've received the Holy Spirit. I'm so glad to know. But, right? And then they've added something to it. But it's not something new. It's something they've always known. They've always believed. Do you remember Peter on the roof when he was praying and had the vision? What was in the basket? Did you pray about that in your life? Man, I prayed about that for like two weeks. What's in my basket? What is it that God says, get up and sacrifice that my work might be done? Something that you say, oh, no, not that. No way. And for these guys, they were excited to see what God was doing, but their basket was filled with circumcision. Because they, they, they were, I tell you what, now, this is a touchy issue, right? Circumcision. But I can imagine, if you had gone through circumcision in order to be accepted, and then no one had to anymore, that's a little bit of the change in the rules, isn't it? What would come out of that thought? Man, that's not fair. <laughs> that's an understatement. 
right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a, you know. Uh, I imagine they were pretty upset about this new teaching. What? And yet, and, and, and on the other side, they knew that God had made this stipulation before. And they wanted to honor it. So there was this part of it that was, that was just, and part of it was like, hey, come on. You know, you can't change all the rules in one, in one swoop here. And so, and so we see this. Unless you're uncircumcised, they say, according to what Moses taught, and you see what they're trying to do, they're trying to give Moses authority over who? Over the anointed one, over this new body called little Christ, over these people who would claim to know the living God in some way apart from what Moses taught. And although they don't understand it, the teaching that we believe is not that Jesus came to abolish the law, but what? To fulfill it. That in everything, Jesus Christ made atonement. In everything, he became the completer. In everything. And this new community begins to believe it. And we're going to get to why this matters to us, church. Because we're just, we're just as flawed as these folks who come down from Judea and say something else. Something else. And so here it is. He says, you can't, there's no way you can be saved without the law of Moses. There's no way. And look what it says here. It says, this brought Paul and Barnabas into a sharp dispute and debate with them, right? And it actually, I don't know why they don't put it this way in the translation. It, it says, no small, no small debate, I bet. And it's like, it's like kind of an inverse way of saying which I appreciated about the actual original text. It says, this brought no small dispute between them. I mean, it was a big deal. Paul and Barnabas just came out of their skin. Now, Paul would have been someone who was. As a matter of fact, I want you to be and I'm trying not to muddy the water too much, but Paul later on has someone who's going with him be circumcised. Okay? But there's something in this mandate that they're saying that without circumcision you cannot be saved, that Paul and Barnabas go, no, 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 no. And they start a huge argument about it. It's a big problem. And so they go back up. And we're not going to run through the whole text. I just want to hit some high points. But they go back up. And I love the, how after this, they're, they're debating this issue and they're sent back. And it's beautiful. And the way that this is dealt with, I wrote down, is the trifecta. It's a three-part response to this accusation, right? That was a, a very valid historical accusation. That without circumcision, you can't be saved. It's something that God had told Moses had to happen, right? The law of Moses. Before that, Abram, right? The covenant started there. And so here we are. And, and this is what it says. It's, it's so Peter, so on the way back, I want to say this, on the way back to, to Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas all the way back are just totally sharing with everybody what God's been doing. And I love the fact that they're almost like oblivious to the fact that what they're sharing is the exact opposite of the message they've just been told, which is you have to have circumcision to be saved. Because they've known, they've witnessed it, they've seen it, they know God's moving, and people are trying to talk them out of it. And they're going back, and what they, what does it say? They go back, and all the way back, they were, um, uh, along the way, they were bringing, telling them about the believer's um, let me see here. Oh, in verse 3. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. So all the way back, they're just going, man, it's crazy down there. It's going really great. People are accepting God. It's so cool. God's moving their life. I can't even explain it. It's amazing. I'm amazed, and I'm Paul, and I'm amazed, you know? So, I mean, they're really excited about this message. And all the way back to Jerusalem, they're telling them this. And then they, the, so some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. Now, I want you to see this too, right? Because this is a little worded funny too. That the Pharisees, this could be people who were still part of the Pharisaical sect but believed in Jesus as Messiah. So they kind of, because it's funny because the Pharisees were the ones that Jesus really had an issue with. He was the one that he, they were always, he was always calling for their self-righteousness, right? But yet he said to other people, you have to be more righteous than these. Tend to the kingdom of God. So there's something about the Pharisaical example that's true, that's right, that's good. But yet they missed the point. And 
It could be that there are those guys who believe, or it could be that those, those guys who, who were Pharisees who believed, and so they're still struggling with this. Yeah, yeah, I, I accepted Jesus as Lord and stuff, but man, I think that this is true. And this is what they say. The Gentiles, it means any non-Hebrew, must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. So they're still pulling for this old-time religion, right? Give me that old-time religion, that's what they're saying. And the apostles and elders met to consider the question. That's the same word they're considering. It's that debate, right, to engage in the conversation, what it means. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. And by the way, I want to say one more thing here. This says that some of the Pharisees stood up. It doesn't mean, see, we've heard a lot about this anesthemia or whatever, where, where people stood up. You know, people are lame, and, and, and Paul says, stand up, and they stand up, and, you know, all this stuff happens. But this is different because they stood up and stood out the Pharisees began to kind of push themselves out from the rest of the believers and say, oh, no, no. And, you know, again, like kind of snapping their collars. Oh, no, no. Uh, there's no way. They have to obey the law, too. You see, what they've done is they begin to push, push themselves away from the church of Jesus Christ, the things that we can all be united on, right, and make additional requirements. And so they stood up and they stood out is what that word means. It doesn't mean they just stood up. Like, because Peter here, what reminds me of is Peter does just stand up and respond. And so Peter stands up and he gives his response. And in Peter's response, there's a threefold, I'm going to go through it and we're going to talk for a second about it. But Peter revisits his experience with Cornelius. He retells this story with Cornelius again in Jerusalem, right? And then Paul and Barnabas testify to the signs and wonders that they saw among the Gentiles. And then James finds the Hebraic uh, support, prophetic support for a time such as this. And so this becomes the threefold response to this kind of false word. That God doesn't work like that. God doesn't move in those people. Well, maybe God moves in those people, but not without this first, you see. And it's kind of this illusion to control, this illusion to wanting to, to tell God how and where he can move. And so Peter stands up, and listen to what he says. I want to spend a little time here because I love Peter's testimony because it reminds me so much of chapter 10, which if you haven't read it, go back and read chapter 10. Uh, it says this, after much discussion, amongst the brothers you can imagine Peter stands up and if you don't know Peter by now man Peter's always standing up putting his foot in his mouth right so Peter's gonna stand up and say something but he's getting wiser wiser the more he follows God and he becomes spirit-led here and he says uh he addressed him and he says brothers and it means uh, um I love it, it says Aner Adelphos it's it's through this text and I don't quite understand why but he calls them uh, brothers and men men and brothers you know he's addressing them in a kind of very formal way and James does the same thing men and brothers he says um you know that some time ago, God made a choice. That means he chose, he reached in and made a selection. He, he appointed something that we didn't understand. Uh, but the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. You remember Peter was a little struck that the, the Cornelius household received the gospel and received the spirit. He was just a little blown away. And he said, well, I, I can't keep me baptized. Well, what else am I going to do? What else requirements do I add? Right? Listen to what it says in verse 8. God who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he gave it to us. So he's saying, and, and uh, the word is, um, is uh, cardiognosco, right? It literally means knowledge of your heart. And I was so struck by that text this morning, cardiognosco, that somehow um, God knows what's in your heart already. And he proved he knew what's in their heart. He proved he knows what's in my heart, Peter's saying, and he shows that he accepts them by giving them the Holy Spirit. There's a seal upon them, just like he gave to us, this outpouring of his love, this outpouring of his grace, this, this charisma, this thing. He gave the Spirit to them. And he made no distinction between us and them, right? Because he purified their hearts by faith. And again, this is the same thing that Peter said. 
God is no respecter of man. And every time we try to create, and I want to get, hop out of the text for a minute, and I want to ask the question, because this is what, to me, is the point of the text, is what do we require of people to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you remember what the word disciple means in the text? Mathetes? Do you remember? It means learner. What do we require that someone be a learner of Jesus? What's the, what's the measuring stick? You know, what do we hold up? Not there yet. Keep it up. Not there yet. To be a learner after Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one. What is it? We have, we do. Because we say we don't. We say, well, I'm saved by grace through faith. Right? That's what, and that's what Peter's going to say in a minute. But what do we do then? Yeah, but, man, those, you dress like that? You dress like that and you call yourself a Christian? You wear your hair like that and you call yourself? Well, you know, I've been down there before. Those people aren't Christians. Well, they're not real Christians anyway. (laughs) Do we do this? Do we somehow receive the grace of Christ from the pit as, as, as people who are unredeemable, as people who are hopeless? And then as soon as we're pulled out of the mud, as soon as we're pulled out of the pit, as soon as we come out, we're still dripping with stink and stench, and God is sitting there, and he's going, flick. You ever clean somebody off after a big mud trip? Flick, flick. He's getting the mud off outside, trying to help you get clean. And you're looking down going, boy, they're dirty. It doesn't make any sense. God's not working there. There's this assumption we make. And it's, and it's, it's, almost, it's almost worse because of where we came from and what we knew, how we do this. Look down our noses. God forgive us. Because Peter says to us in verse 9, God makes no distinction between us and them because he purified their hearts by faith. And, and that's one thing I want to talk about too is this idea of cleansing the heart. That, that I love this song we sang it this morning from the inside out, Lord. To let us not be whitewashed tombs. God, let us not come and, and look right and be wrong. I hope that's your prayer this morning for you as an individual. Oh, God, don't start by changing my clothes. Don't start by changing my music. Don't start by changing the people I hang out with. God, start deep, deep inside of me in that place that I'm so afraid is unredeemable. Start there. And you work your way out. You see, that becomes transformational. That's a good news. That somehow it begins in the inside and it works its way out. And by the time it gets to your fingertips, you're just slinging the gospel everywhere because it's coming from deep inside. God works on our hearts from the inside out. And he says he purifies their hearts by faith. He washes their hearts by faith, by the belief. The belief in what? The belief in the truth. That somehow in this gospel of Jesus Christ, we accept this truth that God died for our sins. That he was on the cross for our sins. That he was laid in the tomb and laughed at and scoffed and forgotten. And even Peter, even the guy who's now testifying about it, says, I don't know who he is. I never knew the guy. And God raised him from the dead. This is our gospel. And this is what we hear. And in that faith, In that belief and truth, God begins to purify our hearts, to clean them out, to let us know that we are not the masters of our own destiny, but we are a part of a big story, this God's story, a big story of redemption. And now he says, and look at what Peter says here in verse 10, why do you test God 
by putting on their necks the yoke that neither we or our fathers could bear. And isn't it funny that Peter doesn't say, why do you test them? Because they could say, look, we're just putting a high standard up. We have to have some standards around here. We can't just have everybody willy-nilly coming to Christ. And Peter says, why not? What else are we going to do? And he doesn't say that. He says, why do you tempt God? It literally means put him on trial. Because that's what we're doing, isn't it? When we assume that God isn't working in someone else's life. And we go, oh, they're lost. Man, that's a tragic word for us to use, isn't it? Or we're wandering around trying to find our way. Well, I, I, I know I'm going, but they're lost. By the grace of God, you know where you're going. And yet we put what? Not them on trial, but God on trial. And we find ourselves judging the living God who is saying to those people, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. The way we bring the gospel to people is just to affirm that in them, to see that God is already working there, and to encourage them in that work, to become methetes, learners after Jesus Christ. That next step, what is it for you today? You need a purified heart today? Pray for it. Ask that question. If you don't understand the cross of Jesus Christ, ask the question. If you don't understand this book, read it and ask the question. What does it mean? What is it about? Ask God and he will lead you. And then Peter says here, we have never been able to bear this burden. I mean, can you imagine if you're Peter and you finally start to understand that Cornelius, I mean, Peter sacrificed what was in that basket. He had given it up. And these guys come back wanting to put the basket full of stuff again. And Peter said, we could never bear it. We could never find righteousness through it. There was no hope in it. And why in the world we else with it. There's this idea of yoke, which I think we've kind of lost. We even were trying to find a yoke for the service today, and we weren't sure where we could even find a yoke anymore. It's this idea of something that's, it's a team, right? You put it on a team of oxen, is that correct? And you use it to kind of have them work together in the fields, you know? But it's also this burden. It can be a burden you put on people. And, and you can keep throwing things on and adding to it and adding to it. And here you have someone who's brand new in Christ. And they're so excited. They don't even understand it. And you know it because you've drained long enough that you go, boy, that's not, but you're off on a tangent there. But we can't affirm what we see in them in Christ. We have to keep saying, no, take this, clink. No, take that, clink. And all of a sudden they start to go this and they just like, oh. And then they start to think that there's something wrong with Jesus Christ and it's not, it's the church. Brothers and sisters, let us not burden others with a yoke that we could not bear. Peter says this, and, and, and it's funny because this is the last thing we're going to hear from Peter in the book of Acts. Peter is out of the book of Acts after this, which is amazing, right? And Peter and Paul, because they always kind of seem to have this like thing going. I don't know if it's because we're Americans, I see things competitively, but it seems like they're always kind of vying for, you know, but, but maybe not. Maybe it's unfair of us to judge, right? But Peter disappears out of the book of Acts after this. But listen to what he says in verse 11. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. I had to read it like five times. We believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, sozo, just as they are. Peter says, it's the same for us, Hebrews. It's the same for us, the same salvation for us as them, right? Exactly the same. What's the famous quote? We are saved by grace through faith. Who wrote that? Paul. Paul wrote that, right, to Ephesus. Isn't that funny? And here Peter says it in Acts. We are saved by grace. 
by the grace of Jesus. And that's her testimony. And so the whole assembly, as Peter begins to speak, you can see, almost imagine, everyone's arguing. It's like E.F. Hutton, right? Everyone's arguing, and all of a sudden, Peter stands up to speak. And when Peter speaks, everyone shuts up. The word literally means they went, shh, shh, because they heard it. And they began to listen, it says, as Barnabas and Paul began to tell the stories of the miraculous signs and wonders that God was doing with the Gentiles through them. And when they were finished talking, shh, James stands up and speaks. And James brings back, and he calls Peter Simon, which is his Hebrew name. And he says, Simeon, actually is the word there. Simeon has described to us how God first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles the people for himself. And then he says, I found something like that in the book of Amos. And he reads this text. And he says, after, after this, I will return to rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore because, you see, it was broken. It was broken. The system was broken. And the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. That means God is working, have been known from the beginning. For all eternity, it was God's plan. All eternity was God's plan to save everyone. And that's the gospel we hear. And it's not easy to, you know, and, and, and we hear that. Even that, we go, oh, well, but wait a minute. No, no, but wait a minute. You have to have this first. You have to look a lot like me. That's what we do. Because I'm right, right? You gotta look like me first, then you can be a Christian. No, that's a lie. And this is what uh, James says. He says, it's my judgment, therefore. It's just his discernment that we should not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. And man, if we would just keep that text right there. By the way, the memory verses this week are, are, chapter, are verse 11 and verse 19 together. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just like they are saved. And it means saved as in saved now, been saved, being saved. If you had that moment in your life where you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, God be praised, but God is still saving you even today. If you've not yet accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, God be praised because he is saving you even now. Even now, before you've accepted Christ, he is saving you and will save you. And that's the word there, sozo. And that's the verse, is verse 11, that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're saved. And it is my judgment that we should not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. And let's not do it. Let's not do it. We try not to do it here, but we kind of do still, right? Do we still do it? Do we still go like, you're not like us? You don't look like us? You don't belong here? Do we do that? Oh, let's not test God. Let's not test God. I want to close with this, uh, what they shared. They, so they write this and they say, so he says, instead we should write to them telling them to abstain from the polluted idols, um, from food polluted by idols, from uh, sexual immorality and meat strangled animals. But I love what they do. They sent out this letter and I wrote it out because I want you to hear what they wrote. I think it's beautiful. And it says this, this is the way they kind of wrote it out. It says, the apostles and elders, your brothers, right? Adelphos, there it is, right? To the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. And so they're going to write this letter back. They're going to speak something authoritatively through written word and through human witness. They're sitting along some folks. Hit the next one. Greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you. It means they stirred you up. It means they made you doubt your faith, made you doubt your, that God is going before you. Troubling, you, troubling your minds by what they said so that we all agreed to choose, oh, so we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, you know. So we're going to send these guys along to be a, a witness because these guys are the ones that said, no, no, no. So we're going to go along with this letter. Men, go ahead, men who, uh, what we got there? 
have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So they've, they've testified with their feet. Oh, that's a gorgeous thing. Therefore, we're sending Judas and Silas, uh, Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing to you. So now they send out Paul and Barnabas, who were already arguing for this, but they sent the letter, and they sent more witnesses along to say, yes, this is what's happening. And then look what it says. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well if you avoid these things. Farewell. And it's the most succinct letter. It's just this little thing. And if you want to look at it in your Bible, it's from, it's from what is it, 20, uh, 23B, I guess you have to say, through 29. And, and it just, they, they send this out with a letter in their hand. But I think what's interesting about it, and I wanted you to hear it because it said, go read this in all the churches, and you've heard it. This is what they decided. But do you notice the key line in there? It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Isn't that funny? Because too often we don't trust the God that is speaking among us. We don't trust the discernment that God is giving his people, right? And this is what they say. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. If you read the passage, you don't hear the Holy Spirit mentioned in there. But yet somehow in the engagement, in the dialogue, in the conversation, the Holy Spirit has given them wisdom to know that this is what they should require. This is the things they should require. And it becomes not just the opinion of James, but the opinion of all the church. And they go out and continue the work. I want you to know today uh, that um, God is a knower of hearts. The book of James says, you know, why deceive yourselves and think otherwise? Why fool yourselves? Why, why do we believe that God doesn't know? Why do we trick ourselves into thinking that? Oh, if God only knew what I was going through. Oh, if, if God only knew. God knows. He's a knower of hearts. It's my favorite name for him right now. And he makes our heart, hearts clean and by pure pruning our fire with the conviction of truth. You see, Paul later on talks about circumcision again. But he says we don't need circumcision as men. We need circumcision of the heart. We need that stuff cut away. What becomes our testimony to people? Not how we look on the outside, but what comes out of our heart. And, and if, it's, if it's, you know, been cut away, and if it's new, if it's full of life, grace, truth, the fruits of the Spirit, that's how we know that we have the Holy Spirit. And today I want to say to you that if, if you don't know Jesus Christ, today's the day. Today's the day. It's like tomorrow. It's like yesterday. But it's a day. And the word says as long as today is today, respond to the living God, right? And if you've accepted him, but you've started to have these standards, I got a next step for you. It's on the bottom of your bulletins. It says stop requiring. What does it say? I want to put stop in there. Do not burden others with my own requirements. We don't self-examine very much, do we? We just start to do it. We just start to do it. We just start to say, well, of course this is right because I'm doing it. Oh, God forgive us for that. Maybe that's what we need to pray about this week. Maybe we need to do that. Maybe we just had a Thanksgiving meal with somebody and we sat there the whole time we were eating. And I can't believe you're sitting here at the table with me, you know. I did it. 
Let us stop putting unnecessary burdens on others as they come to Christ and follow the living God. And so I want you to know today that God's North Hearts. And uh, if you want to respond today, we would invite you to respond. If, if, you've, if, you've, if you've been a believer for a long time, but you've never submitted yourself to baptism, water's coming. <laughs> so you can come out tonight and be baptized if you want to. There's something about the work of God that we can affirm, we can celebrate, and we can carry on with without additional requirements, without higher standards. Because the truth is, the highest standard of all has been met. Paul knew it. The early apostles knew it. In Jesus Christ on the cross, there's nothing more you can do. It's an affront to God to think, I can do something else to please God besides Jesus. So if you want to come this morning and pray, I'd invite you to come and pray. If you want to respond where you are, respond where you are. But I would encourage you to have a conversation with the living God.